It's just July is when everybody's buying houses, even in a strong seller's market. Buying a house in December is better than buying it in July. You should have better negotiation because there's less people trying to do it. Once more unto the breach, dear friends, else close the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, aspirationally, boys and girls. Uh, welcome to the Personal Wealth Coach. This is Jake McClure. On the line with me, I have... Jeff McClure. Uh, this is the Personal Wealth Coach. Last hour, we did talk about the Federal Reserve. This hour, we've got a lot to talk about. We've got all kinds of... It's been a big week. Uh, a very large week to talk uh, about this. Uh, what's what's happened this week? We had a a jobs report that came back in a very confusing fashion. Wow, you're talking without sounding like a robot. I'm sorry that I sound like a robot. Yes, yes. It's a very interesting little tidbit here that's maybe not going to make some people very happy. But we've had an opportunity now to look at the states where unemployment benefits have been cut. Yeah, lots of headlines dropped, on this. They dropped the federal unemployment benefits in a number of states, including Texas. And the thought, the rational, logical thought, Lynn Woody would love this, the rational thought, be rational, right? be logical, <laughs> was that if you cut unemployment benefits, people will go back to work. And there's a shortage of People, you know, business are trying to hire people. And they can't find people to hire. We're paying people not to work. So that's why they're not working. Of course, they're not working. You're paying them not to work. So why wouldn't you? So you stop paying them not to work and you would expect. And they didn't go to work. They didn't As go. As a matter of fact, the unemployment rates improved more in the states that continued the unemployment benefits than the ones that didn't. And this is a truism about America. It's not true about all of us, but it's true about the absolute vastest majority of us. We would rather have a job than be on unemployment. I know that's weird because most people listening to this go, well, of course, I feel that way. But it's those other people out there. Those other people represent a very tiny fraction of the population. The reality is that work ethic as I know this is weird because it's one of the favorite topics of conversation at any point in history is how bad the work ethic is. It doesn't matter where in history you are. You can point out people talking about how the work ethic isn't what it used to be. We have a great work ethic in the United States. And I know that's controversial for me to come out and say it. But if when you compare us to any other place on the planet, We've got productivity that's off the charts. We've got, we've got willingness to work and compensation that's off the charts compared to every other place on the planet. And I know that sounds like hyperbole. It sounds like I am magnifying that to say you don't really mean every place. No, when we're talking about Singapore, when we're talking about Denmark, when we're talking about all these other places, our productivity is better. Our work ethic must be better if our productivity is better. So just just hold that in your mind when we're thinking about unemployment. The reality is that people really don't want to be unemployed. There may be a few that are like, yeah, that's fine. I'm getting paid. I don't need to do anything. The reality is that the vast majority of us would rather be working. 
So keep that in mind. When we stop paying that extra benefit, it's just removing an extra benefit. They already wanted a job. <laughs> and, and, the, and when we talk about Texas, I would say Texas has a better work ethic than the majority of the rest of the nation. And we can look at demographics and we can see productivity in Texas is generally higher than most other places. Income's not as high in a lot of positions, but we're in a bigger state and the cost of living is lower as well. There's exceptions to that. When you talk about Austin, income's just as high. Cost of living is also just as high. So when we're talking about Texas and saying, all right, we're going to suspend this federal benefit, we're going to, the state doesn't want to be on the hook for paying. It's part of it. So we're not going to do it. We're no longer paying this extra benefit. You would think that would cause people, all right, now that I've been just sitting around doing nothing, I'm just going to get up and go get a job because they're not paying me anymore. The reality is those people weren't just sitting around. The vast majority of them were already trying to get back. And the reasons that were keeping them from going back to work didn't change when the money changed. Uh, that's something that we can prove just by doing it. I, I was 50-50. Remove the benefit. Maybe we'll see a good result. Maybe we won't. Uh, because behavior, when you're getting your paycheck from the unemployment office, it hurts. I don't know if any listeners have been in that position. It's not a fun place to be. Nobody's like, woohoo, I'm going to unemployment. Uh, that's just nobody's reaction <laughs> to not having a job. It really isn't. Even people that are like, I'd rather get beyond the dole, as they say in the UK, than go back to work. It's still not something that is a cause of societal pride. <laughs> Uh, so just keep that in mind. In uh, something, like I said, it was 50-50. I don't know if it was going to cause people to go back to work. It's quite possible that it was causing some people to stay back. But the net result is that that wasn't the thing that was keeping people from getting a job. Apparently, there's a couple of major issues going on in the employment world. Yeah, there's a lot of jobs open. But a lot of jobs open are not coincident with the people who live in the area job skills right so it is called the, this is the the classic economic mismatch the people that want the jobs are not in the places that have the jobs and the places that have the jobs the people that are living there already have jobs too so this is the mismatch and i think the eviction uh and foreclosure moratorium have more to do with why people aren't going back to work than the than the, the benefit that they got in the paycheck. Really? Yeah, because if you're in, there's a lot of people, it, the number is dropping because people really do wish to pay their rent, really do wish to pay their mortgages. But there were a lot of people that simply couldn't pay their rent or their mortgage, but they also weren't able to be evicted. They weren't be, they're being told to leave. So they had a situation where they didn't have to pay a mortgage or they didn't have to pay rent. Now, it's not making them happy. I can tell you that for sure. It's not something that someone in that situation is going, woohoo. No, there's no celebration going on. But at the same time, they don't have to say, I'm getting kicked out of this house. There's no jobs in the city. I got to go somewhere else. So this is the final component to this recession, which we're not even in anymore, but the recovery from the recession 
generally we see a lot of demographic shifts, people moving from one place to another at the end of a recession. And we didn't see that here because it's a pandemic thing. People are like, I'm not going out and moving right now. That's what the CD was, CDC was saying when they, were, they put the moratorium. Man, we're using big words. They said you're not allowed to evict people. You don't want people being homeless on the street when there's a bunch of viruses hanging around uh, killing people. So the CDC says this is a health issue. Um, at some point, Congress has to say it's a health issue you can't evict. The CDC's not given the purview. The Supreme Court said you can evict people again. You can foreclose again. And this is going to cause right here in the next month or so, the next month to month and a half, we're going to start to see some action on that. And over the next three months, we see we may see some big negatives in the real estate market. Uh, something that's really, really clear, people are commenting to this about, to me right now on the real estate market, that they're, they're not seeing the demand that they were seeing a couple of months ago and they're really worried about it. And my answer to them is it's September. School's just started. People are less likely to be buying a house right now than they were a few months ago because if you look at the charts over any length of time, summer is the biggest time for buying houses. December and November are really, really bad for buying houses. Don't be surprised if your house is on the market right now, if it takes longer to sell it than if you'd had the house on the market a few months ago. It's just part of normal movements. Actually, it's the reverse of what you said. What is? December is a great month for buying a house. Yes. For it's buying. a lousy month for selling a house. That's correct. It, it's there, not a bad month for buying houses. It's a bad month for selling houses. And when I, what I tell people, and I tell this repeatedly to people, when they are looking to buy a house, if they can do it in December, they will get a better deal almost universally than if they do it in July. It's just... July is when everybody's buying houses, even in a strong seller's market. Buying a house in December is better than buying it in July. You should have better negotiation because there's less people trying to do it. Um, Google for a long time had statistics made freely available that they have closed up and they said that well, they're going to start allowing subscriptions to it, but they closed it up like four years ago. And I think they've just forgotten about it. They're, what it was is the searches on real estate day by day charted. And they had about 15 years of it available. And I loved it because there were two days on there that you could clearly see in the graph. The number of searches for new homes dropped drastically like to nothing on Christmas and on Thanksgiving. For some reason, people at Christmas are not looking at the housing market. They're not saying, I wanna go out and look at a house for some reason. I think we can, we can come up with reasons there, but that would be a hypothesis. We wouldn't be able to prove it. All we know is that at Christmas and Thanksgiving, fewer people are looking to buy houses. If you're trying to buy a house, that means it's a good day to do it? I know that's weird, but statistically, buying a house in December gives you a better deal than, and selling a house in December is a bad idea. So I, I know that's weird. But it's not so weird when you use some common sense. You are like everyone else, except we tend to think that what is happening at this moment is what we should expect to happen in all future moments. 
we, we've had this crazy housing environment through the summer. I'm seeing price drops in the housing market in Austin. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, now, that's not been reported in the big news yet. I look at this through Zillow and Realtor.com, and I'm looking around, and I'm going, ooh, our little... Uh, we we're getting a little downturn in the housing market. Very small, but it's real, and it's the first time we've seen that since the pandemic began. Which leads into another subject. And what is that other subject? Right now, the year over year, in other words, looking back one year ago, the core personal consumer expenditures index. Now you remember you may have never heard of the personal consumer expenditures index. Much less it's, the core version of it. Which is like, the, that's, that's where the ultra fit are working on their core. Yeah. Yeah. The normally you hear about the CPI, the consumer price index, which is very artificial and includes a, a fairly large chunk of the, uh, of the CPI, the consumer price index is the rental value of your house for you own a house, which is silly. It, because opinion. most people are not renting their house out. So why would well, you have that as a statement of whether or not you've had inflation yeah. in your life? And it's fixed. They don't move it around. It does, as people change their spending habits, the CPI doesn't move around. It's just fixed. It's solid. It's wonderful, except for the fact I think it's fairly inaccurate. Because people, when prices go up on one thing, if prices go up on pork, they'll buy more chicken, for example. And that causes people to shift their behavior around. Now, the personal consumer consumption index, personal consumption expenditures index, the PCE. This is actually what people are are buying not not regardless right. of what people are buying but actually looking at what are people buying right now and are the prices going up on those things year over year in the core cpe not, takes out two big variables food and and uh, and fuel and food and fuel tend to z zigzag all over the place and have very little to do with core inflation especially so, if the the car that you're in the driver is trying to eat with both hands then the fuel in the car and the food in the car is swerving all over the place. That's certainly true. It's kind yeah. of like the market this yeah. week. Yeah. Um, year over year, it's up 3.6%. Now, that's a lot compared with what we've seen in the past where it was 1% and 2%. But a few months ago, it was 5 and 6%. And that's an important thing to look at. It's an, it's an important thing to look at because when inflation spiked a few months ago, Chairman Powell said, this is a transitory event. We're not going to react to it. We're not going to suddenly tighten up the money supply. We're not going to raise interest rates. We're not going to do the things we normally do to fight inflation because this is transitory. It'll go away. And it's going away. And it's very interesting. It, it peaked in March and has been coming down ever since. So if you're concerned that inflation is going to do terrible things and go on forever and we're going to get into an inflationary spiral, which is a lot of the worry that this bull market is climbing, Chairman Powell seems to have been correct so far. We're watch, we'll continue to watch this very carefully. 3.6 is still probably unacceptably high, but it's been coming steadily down, and I think the inflation situation is getting better. Um, the, new, the used car inflation has pretty much leveled off. I mean, used cars are still outrageously expensive, but they're not continuing to get more expensive. And I suspect as the chip shortage and the semiconductor shortage, because it's a different the ceramic shortage. Yeah. I don't know if you knew about that. Yeah. And the board shortage. That's from people who are bored. Um, short board from Malaysia. That's all caused by COVID. That will eventually go away. 
And when it goes away and the supply pops back up again, one of the, one of the items that I looked at, apparently the major auto manufacturers have an absolutely astonishing quantity of light trucks and cars sitting on lots at their manufacturing facilities, minus a part or two. And all it takes is a real quick replacement, real quick insertion of a part, and they can put it on the market. At some point, yeah, all it takes is see, one shipment to a major plant, and we're going to see a lot of automobiles come out. You're going to see the and the price drop. Yeah, um, this is on that same note, that shortage note. Um, Samsung, Samsung Austin, is uh, starting up a 17 billion with a B dollar semiconductor plant in Williamson County. That's just north of Travis County where Austin is. There's a very large uh, educated population there. There's good engineers in the area, good population to sustain it. It's somewhere near Taylor. And uh, it's just been announced. So we've talked about this over the last year about the number of new semiconductor plants. What's a semiconductor? Um, I know people talk about semiconductors. A semiconductor allows uh, a state to be derived so that you can get calculations done properly. And uh, the temperature has to be controlled, which is where the ceramics come in. That's a really great insulator. Uh, And when you're talking about spaceships or computer chips, ceramics are important. So it's, it's a temperature controller, if you will. And that's part of the shortage is that high-tech ceramics for semiconductors, high-tech silicon to, to, to wrap it. And, and by that, I don't mean silicone. I'm getting a lot of that. People are like, I have a silicone uh, scrubber in my, for my pot. Now I can use that in my... No, it's, that's a different thing. Silicone and silicon... Silicone is for like surgical implants and for pulling things out of the oven. They do have heat properties that are similar, but completely different materials. Um, and I, I, sorry I had to say that, but enough people have talked to me about it that I need to make that clear. So ceramics in the right quality, uh, print uh, being printed correctly with a multi-layered approach all of that is is part of what we're short on. And when I'm looking at the number of new plants being made right now, it's hard to track this because there isn't a place that compiles that. We really just have to search and search and say, all right, there's a factory here, there's a factory there, a little headline here, a little headline there. I'm seeing more new factory creation activity than I have seen since the late or, or the early 90s in China where the factories were beginning to move to China, there was a big push by a lot of companies to go and make the factories there. Uh, And then we had a trickle after that. We're seeing that kind of floodgate-type activity of new chip manufacturing taking place in the United States, which is, you know, Intel's opening up plants in the United States, Samsung. Uh, All of the big chip manufacturers, all of them, are opening up plants in the United States. That's really, really optimistic for the future. That is, I mean, huge. This is like when you're talking about the government needs to spend on infrastructure. This is the commercial infrastructure that needs to be done. And it's happening, which means that the supply chain is coming back to the United States for the things that we need. We will be 
chip independent at some point in the future. We didn't realize that we needed to be chip independent until there was a shortage, just like we didn't realize we needed to be fuel independent until there was an embargo. Uh, so we're going that direction really fast. That's one of their arguments for the infrastructure bill that basically is passing on a bipartisan basis through the House and the Senate, the two bills. And that is that we have these factories open up and the road systems and the connections between them in that are public in, that are public or near public are overloaded. Yeah. So here's an example. The, 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 the Samsung plant. It's going to be job in, is to provide the, the infrastructure to allow these plants to be connected so they'll work. Right. Um, so there, the plant, the $17 billion plant is going on an intersection between two County roads. Now, when you're in Williamson County, and the road sign says cord on it. That's what county road is. And if you've ever driven out in Williamson County on the cords, they're nearly one lane. There's no shoulder. If there's two big trucks, one of them has to stop. This is like driving in the back country of Scotland. Um, it's not quite that bad in that they could probably get around each other going slowly. There's going to need to be some massive infrastructure spending to get the transportation out to the Samsung plant and back from it for the amount of trucks that are going to be driving through there. Now, getting to I-35 is pretty important there, or getting to another major thoroughfare to get to major thoroughfares. So 195 is nearby, I-35, and I'm using specifics to one place because it's easy to see where infrastructure spending is necessary. If we want to be chip independent, we got to build roads to the new factories and it's not the factory's job to do it or the factory will go somewhere else. So that's, that is the, the stark reality is that we have to invest in the infrastructure if we want commercial investments to continue. Uh, that's, probably the best way I could say that, that we've got very definite, very clear motivations to do it. The, the place where this plant is going doesn't have a lot of big roads that go to it. And that's going to be something that we fix. So when we see the supply issue taken care of, we see the chips flowing again. Man, that sounds like I'm talking about Dune or something. The chips must flow. The spice must be chips now. Yeah, I'm not a Frank Herbert. Sorry, my, my prose is not quite as pro. Uh, but you, you see where I'm going with that. We, our system requires chips. Our system requires energy. Our system requires food. We've got a lot of that covered. But every time we get scared about a shortage in an area, action gets taken. And we're taking more and more action. I wouldn't be surprised to see America becoming the chip manufacturing location again. That it's just simply computer chips come from America and they're the best you can find anywhere on the planet. They'll come from Samsung, a South Korean company in the United States. Just like a Toyota sold in Europe is considered to be one of the best quality cars that you can get. And it was shipped from the United States with U.S. workers. So it's shipped with workers? No, you're, you're, 
it had U.S. workers. I'm sorry. It didn't ship with the U.S. workers, although some of the workers might have shipped with it. It's a nice way to get across the COVID barriers. Like I came with the truck. So Toyota has become an American company. I mean, it's majority owned by U.S. citizens. When you buy a German manufactured fine automobile, I think you get a mechanic with it based on the price. Yeah, they, they, there's a button you push and the trunk pops open no matter where you are. And out comes the mechanic and they, they come around to the front and they fix things. And then they ask you to present your arm so that they may take a piece of it in payment. Um, it's a layaway program where you can do, it's an arm and a leg, but you can do it in increments of toes and fingers. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Uh, German made auto parts. Yeah. Well, we have a question or a, a statement from the email. Let me throw okay. this out there. And it's a, it's a great one. Philip, who's another one of our great questers, uh, is making an observation. He says, don't forget this. There are many households that started receiving, and I'm going to replace the dollar number because it's different in a lot of households, a certain dollar amount per child that kicked in right at the same time that these unemployment benefits stopped. That is true. And a lot of the people that were unemployed have kids. Um, so that may be a factor that we're looking at. Um, the difference is that this is kind of like that conversation we had last hour about the creation or destruction of money. The government owes this money to this family anyway. They're going to pay it when they file their taxes next year or now. So I would, as, as far as a, a, a net to the economy, this is more like an IOU from themselves to themselves with this payment and they may or may not be aware of it. I don't know how this is going to affect behavior. This is why experiments are important. And we look at the world, as we're trying a lot of new stuff. And whether or not it works is more important to us than what party came up with it. I know that's weird. If, if stopping unemployment benefits didn't help because we have a federal benefit of another kind that's starting up roughly at the same time, it's going to be hard because we're changing multiple things at the same time to figure out what is that from. But it's, I'm sure going to inspire a lot of dissertations. A lot of people are going to write about it. We don't know, though. And so often when people say we don't know, it causes people to go back to the things that they believe uh, from an opinion base. Oh, that must mean fill in the blank. It must mean that this extra payment is why it was. We don't know. Uh, there's not a direct overlap between people that have kids and people who are unemployed, believe it or not. <laughs> there are a lot of people that are not unemployed that have kids. Really? I know. It's a shock. So it's really hard to gauge that. It's also allowing more money back into the economy for all those employed people with kids who are likely to spend more, which could cause people to need to hire more employees at a better pay. So the same time you could say this money coming out into the economy could prevent them from going back to work, it's also creating a greater demand for them to go back to work. This is why we don't know. I love going into all the details so that people go, oh, it's not as simple as it looked. It really isn't. Uh, it's, not, it's not a direct correlation between the two. But what we can see is that states that kept paying that federal subsidy have lower unemployment they have their unemployment has dropped faster than 
places that got rid of it. Those places also received the child tax credit. So all I am all I am saying here, all we are saying here is that we don't know enough, but it's going to provide us information to figure this out later to say is it a good idea to have federal subsidies on unemployment or not? And is this completely unrelated? Is were there just more possible jobs available in those places that had the subsidies like liberal type states are recovering faster why are they recovering faster well because there's a demographic shift that's occurred in our political parties 20 years ago the absolute vast majority of high income earners were republicans that is no longer the case demographically, more high-income earners are Democrats than Republicans. That's a shift. So this is also something we're seeing in Congress. Every time someone starts saying, let's pay for this by raising capital gains, you start to have Democrats stopping that. Wait a minute. This has been the poster child for the Democrat Party for 30 years. But just like Free trade was the poster child for the Republican Party for 30 years. Things are changing. We have a very different environment. Liberal doesn't mean what it used to. Neither does conservatism. We're in the middle of watching this shift. It means something different now. Don't go back to your old definitions. We're out of time. So it's, it's amazing. If you'd like to talk to us off the air, a uh, local line that comes to voicemail during the weekend, real live people during the week is... Two five four nine four seven eleven eleven. Should you have a landline toll free one eight hundred nine one four seven five two six? That's eight hundred nine fourteen plan. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com, where you can find recordings of our radio program going back lots of years. You can get links to podcasts. Go to a normal podcast provider. Look for TPWC. Uh, you can contact us through our contact form or directly uh, at jeff at tpwc.com or jake at tpwc.com. Until next week, thank you for listening and have a great rest of your weekend.